Welcome, welcome back to Let's Talk Diaspora. We're excited because we've been talking about that uncomfortable middle. And today we're focusing in and talking about sharing our faith with Muslims, which I believe is a very uncomfortable middle for many because of the tension, um, particularly that happened after 9-11 in North America. Um, And that tension creating a lot of fear, fear from the enemy and um, relationships between Christians and Muslims have been defined, are defined still by fear. That's so true, Rebecca. That's why today we have a special guest on the podcast to help us think through this. Uh, Fouad Masri is joining us. Fouad is the founder of Crescent Project, which is a ministry with the goal of building transformational relationships between Muslims and Christians. Crescent Project amazingly has equipped over 400,000 Christ followers. Fouad has authored many helpful resources that we're going to link in the notes because they are super helpful in building bridges between Christians and Muslims. Fouad, so honored, brother, to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. It's such a great time of history where we can shine the light in darkness. Floyd, can you tell us some about yourself? Maybe you could tell us first um, what your favorite joke is, or do you have any good joke to share with us this morning? Sure. I grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. I grew up during the Civil War, and the Lebanese people, to cope with the war, uh, we became a kind of culture that uh, always has to tell a joke or make fun of another culture. It's very sad. Uh, I married a sweet American, and she would tell me, honey, these jokes are not good. But that's how we dealt with the war. Uh, You know, when we hear the news in the U.S. and and countries where they haven't had civil war, it doesn't come across really with the same impact. Like a car bomb would read like, oh, there was two car bombs. Well, car bombs are very dangerous because they park them in front of a school or a mosque or a church. And sometimes they go off at 7 in the morning, noon. And then after the aftermath is you'll be walking maybe a mile away and you'd see a head or an arm or or, or, or half a body. And this is very much like a horror movie. And I grew up in that situation. Uh, a common joke you'd hear and you can tell to any Lebanese, they all get it, that two Lebanese young men were uh, talking at the street corner and one of them had a hand grenade that he was playing with. And his friend said to him, hey, uh, be careful, this grenade might explode. So his friend said, oh, it's okay, I have other grenades at home. So the concept is, you know, <laughs> too many weapons in the country. So And I and I just returned from Lebanon about not even 10 days ago. Sadly, the war started in 1975. Um, I was not even a teenager. when the war started, and now coming back, seeing that nothing has changed, we still have the same factions, same conversations, Sunnis, Shia, Catholic, you know, Druze, Iran, Syria, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Egypt, we still have the same conversations. And the country is the size of Connecticut, so if our audience live in the United States, you can tell that our country is so small uh, in an hour and a half, I can go from Beirut, Lebanon to Damascus, Syria in one hour and a half. I remember driving 20 hours in Texas and I was still in the same state. <laughs> and, I, and I said, how big is this country? So moving here in uh, 93, our, our burden, our heart was 
to share the good news because I got saved during the war in Lebanon. I had heard about Jesus, but Jesus was just an idea, was just a person in history. But during the war, I took Christ as my savior and he gave me love for my enemies, for my neighbors. I started praying for the Iranians, for the Shia, for the Sunnis, for the Palestinians. The Palestinians killed my friend Walid at age 18. I started praying for the Jewish people because when you become a follower of Christ, you don't see people by race. You don't see people by education. You don't even see how they voted last time. You know, When you are a follower of Christ, you see them as God's creation. And our Savior Jesus said something beautiful. He said, I have come that they might have life. They is everybody. Everybody. It's not just the ones I like or you like or the ones that you know think the same. No, no. Jesus came for all people. And that's why I love what you talk about the... This uncomfortable middle because the Great Commission was given to go to all. It didn't say just those who, you know, like to eat the same food or speak the same language. It's all. And I did spend time on the Greek in the book, sharing Jesus with Muslims on purpose. Because today in the church, we miss out on what is the Great Commission. It's to all people who love Jesus and it's going to all Ethnic groups, the Greek word is pantate ethne. Ethne is where we get ethnic groups. So when I see an Afghan, whether they're Hazara or Pashtun, both of them God loves. They can't stand each other, but God loves them both. And that's the beauty of becoming a follower of Jesus, a true Christian, a committed believer, or whatever name you want to give us, Bible, Bible believers. The Bible changes the way we think of others. Wow. You said so much in just a short period of time. That's uh, so great. And you're actually just setting up our transition because what we, what we want to talk about is you know, sharing the gospel with Muslims. And so for our listeners, some of them are, are regularly doing it, and perhaps there's things that they, they can learn to be more, um, more bold, perhaps, more um, effective. If I, I don't want to necessarily use that word because I think you're effective when you do it. Yes. Uh, but thinking through bridges and ways to connect, we can always grow in that sort of thing. So the question I want to ask Fouad is, uh, what, what do you believe is the biggest barrier for Christians sharing more often with more Muslims? Is a, so, a couple of things. One is the vision. Just imagine with me right now, if 1% of all Christ followers start sharing the gospel with Muslims. Just imagine, just 1%. We're not asking everybody. Just one person from every church around the world, let's focus even here in United States. If one out of every hundred says, I want to go reach out to a Muslim. Today on this planet, we have 1.8 billion. Now, some say it's 1.9. They're showing, they're saying now they surpass other religions. Regardless, there's 1.8 billion who have never seen a page of the Bible. So our biggest issue today is they don't know. The reason they act this way is they don't know. And, and you know, even we have people in a, in countries like America who know the word of God and they turn their back on God. So the, the, how much worse Muslims are because they have never heard. So their information is not there. And on top of that, if they heard something about Christians, it's usually negative. Our window on America, our window on Europe, our window on what we call Christianity is television. I mean, I'm, I'm in a train ride in Morocco and the guy said to me, where do you live? I said, I live in the United States of America. He goes, America is a bad country. They're illiterate, uh, ignorant, uneducated, and a bunch of cow herders. I think he meant cowboys. 
I asked him, have you been to America? No. I said, how do you get your information? He goes, I watch television. I mean, imagine. So I responded. I said, there are more than 3,000 mosques in America. And his response was, oh, America allows freedom of religion. We're not allowed to become Christians in this nation. It's illegal for a Muslim to become a Christian. In some countries, you be executed. So they don't know. And if they know anything, it's negative. Two days ago, I was in uh, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, in a coffee shop owned by a Yemeni. We had a blast. He's been in America 20 years. He loves this country. He said to me, I'm retired, and I wanted to get a coffee shop. And we're talking, and and he said to me, why there are different religions? I said to him, there are different religions because people don't read. If people read, <laughs> they'll get to a similar conclusion. And he looked at me, he goes, you're right. I said, that, you know, every Christian should read the Quran. Every Muslim should read the Bible. And you should see his demeanor. So there is an openness, but they don't know. The other thing, why we're not sharing, is partly fear, but I think partly anger. Like when I watched the attacks of September 11, I was mad. I was angry because I had heard about something like that way back in 78, 1978, when I was in high school. There were classmates who were talking about hijacking plane, and they had a map with the, the World Trade Center on it and all that. So the reason I'm sharing with you is, yes, we get angry, but the Bible is clear. Be angry and not sin. Yes, it angers me that Masa Amini, 22-year-old, younger than my daughter, gets killed, not for not wearing the hijab, for not wearing it correctly. What? Like It was like telling your wife, you know, you know, you know I'm going to beat you up because you didn't put the lipstick correct. I mean, come on. So, yes, we are to be angry. That's It's anger. Yes, how can they burn a church? For what reason? But the Bible is clear. Be angry and not sin. You cannot hate. Our, our, our Heavenly Father says we cannot hate. So how we get that? Not by teaching, but by coming to Christ. Say, Lord, give me love for my neighbor. Give me love for my enemies. Lord, let me see Muslims through your eyes. That's the only way that we can break this fear and this anger and start sharing, taking the initiative. Uh, you know, 30 seconds of courage will change someone's life. Fod, you mentioned TV and also this fear um, that we have or anger that we have, maybe I should say. Um, so what do you think some of the greatest or the biggest misconceptions are that we're getting from TV and the anger that we have? Well, the first one is that most Muslims are Arab, and that's not true. Most Muslims are not Arab, which adds to the problem is many Muslims are nominal. They can't understand the Quran, the holy book of Islam. They can't read Arabic. So they might recite some prayers in Arabic, but they have no idea what they're doing. So Indonesia, Malaysia, you know, India, uh, uh, Pakistan has uh, millions. You know, uh, you go down south to, to, you know, like Africa, like Niger or Nigeria. And so... The first misconception is they're not all the same. They're not they're not the same ethnic group, and they're different groups. They're Sunni, Shia, the Ahmadiyya, Baha'is, you know, Wahhabis, different sects. So the person you're talking to could have different ideas or different exposure. So we we lump some everybody. You know, she has the hijab on, so we don't want to talk to her. Why? She she might be putting the hijab because her father told her or her husband. Maybe she it's not her choice. Or maybe it is her choice. Ask her, why are you wearing the hijab? It's okay. It's like, hey, tell me about Islam. Everybody wants to tell. So the, uh, taking the initiative and asking a question is good. The second misconception is that Muslims are not interested. Since September 11, the increase of people becoming believers has out, outpaced the last 1,400 years. More Muslims become believers in the last 20 years 
than the previous 1400 years. Number one reason is they met a practicing believer. Number two, they read the Bible in their language. Number three, they had a vision or a dream of Jesus. Last Sunday, like two days ago, I was driving and I get a call from the uh, UK, an Iranian who just got baptized. She's been a believer for two years, telling me her story. She had a vision and dream of Jesus, which made her seek to know more about Christ. So, yeah, th this is happening and we don't know. We don't hear about it. And we think, well, once you meet a Muslim, she's Iranian or something. It's like, oh, they're not interested. That's not true. There's so much interest, even those who are becoming fanatic. They start growing their beard, the men, you know. No, no, this is a sign that they are seeking. See, if I'm thirsty this morning and you give me a cup of salt water and I drink the salt water, I get thirstier. See, the millions are thirsty for this concept of salvation, forgiveness, and what's offered to them is not working. They've taken it, but it's not working. So this is where we come in with Jesus, the living water, who, who said to the Samaritan woman, I love this, the water I give you will gush from you. It's just amazing. You become giving water to others. That's the faith. That's the Christian faith. I, I think a couple of things I, I just want to pull pull out that you said is three three things you said was uh, relationship with a practicing believer, reading the Bible in their language, dreams and visions. And those things seem so accessible to to people who are just going going to a church, they're loving Jesus, they're following Jesus, they want to obey him. To think through, if you are in a city that has Muslims, and I would say if you're listening, the likelihood is every city. Mm -hmm. um, there are some exceptions, but if, if your city has more than probably 2,000 people, there's probably a Muslim in your city. Mm -hmm. Developing a relationship with them. You can go online, you can find Bibles in their language. Uh, if you have trouble finding that, contact contact us through the podcast or, or FWAD through Crescent Project, we can point you to resources. Yeah. And so just, just to tell a brief story, just last week, um, I had an intern in town and we were going out and sharing with, with Muslims and she had never done this before, but it was such a great experience because we just started to ask questions. I heard you say that, learn where they were from. And then we just said, Hey, have you ever read the Injil? Like, no. Would you want to? Of course I would. Like you have one yeah. and then we're able to give it to, and then just trusting that third piece that Jesus will give that third piece of the dream and vision and continue to seek. And if nothing else, she, she has the Bible, she will read it. She knows how to get in touch with us. So just want to share that story. That's, that's, that's how we approach it. And it's very, very accessible to every person. So for the, the point of our second season is we're we're talking about this uncomfortable middle which means there's this tension that we hold and we've talked about the tension of fear and anger and the love of Christ but even within christian circles there's a variety of understanding and we've talked about this a couple times on the podcast is contextualizing the gospel for muslims and so we've we've talked about some of the nuance in in that, but how would you encourage someone to think biblically about the idea of contextualization? Yes, thank you. That's a very important question. And um, you know, one of my dear friends, uh, Nabil Qureshi, you know, he was born and raised in America, so his culture was, yeah, influenced by Ahmadiyya, but he was American. When his friend becomes a believer, David, and then David shares with him. The, the culture, the, the gospel was being contextualized as they were sharing because that person's culture, Nabil, you know, and his 
he wanted to write this new book with me and we, he didn't have a chance. He's, he's with the Lord. His faith is now sight. But the idea is we wanted to show that how uh, the contextualization of the gospel happens different to each person. You know, if anybody has read the book Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, you find his process is similar to others, but it's also different. So the danger for us, especially in, in the United States, is we like the cookie cutter. We've all driven in these neighborhoods where all the houses look alike. We like this idea, like, oh, you know, it worked with Fahad, it must work with me. No, no. Every person is different. Every story is different. Every testimony is different. Um, yes, the core of the gospel is, is the same, absolutely. You know, uh, that's why I wrote the book, Adhan the Injil, five points. You know, God's love, God is holy, God is just, God is uh, uh, merciful, he sent us Jesus. God is forgiving. Today you can receive forgiveness. So the gospel is the same, but sometimes the context is different. So if I'm talking to somebody who's who's from Saudi Arabia, her family is very devout, she's wearing the hijab, she doesn't go anywhere without putting it on. It's a different conversation when I'm talking to somebody, let's say who you know is a PhD student and you know she's she doesn't wear the hijab and you know she's maybe have done some more interviews and with television or press. So you have to understand that contextualization is a process. Most people think contextualization is a formula. No, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not a formula. It's, it's a process. So it depends. Like this Yemeni guy I'm talking to, been in America 20 years. He's raising his kids here. His son was, you know, growing a beard. And I could tell the father was not happy that his son is becoming fanatic because he's seen the civil war in Yemen, you know. And so I'm, I'm trying to understand more as the person Sunni Shia. So when I saw the son talking to me, my contextualization was different. Is the the guy who grew up in America. So, oh, you're American here. Oh, great. Yeah, you have Yemeni background, but you're American. Like my kids, you know, Lebanese background, but they're American. And so the conversation is contextualized to that person. Now, absolutely, there are 12 keys to understanding culture, which we won't go through them now. But in our training, Sahara Challenge, we give 12 keys to understanding culture. And I did that when I went to Morocco, when I did to Egypt. I sat down with my Christian friends and said, these are the 12 keys I needed to help me. So when I'm talking to people from this country, I can communicate. So yes, there are keys. But at the end of the day, each story, each situation is different. That is why we encourage Christ followers to take some training. It doesn't have to be PhD in Islam, but take some training and then Take the initiative. Like our Savior said to the Samaritan woman, give me water. What? He didn't say anything about theology. He just said, give me water. Or when, when Jesus passed, said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home for dinner. <laughs> I mean, you know, what is that? You know, there's nothing, there was no theology that says, hey, I'm coming. But being there with them, and 90% and of ministry is showing up, really, just being there. And things happen because one, God is with you. Two, you're not there by chance. God is orchestrating these things. So you have to, to think you're, that you are working with the Lord. Uh, I just spoke on uh, Philip and the Ethiopian treasurer. Uh, what hit me in that story is that there was, there are nothing, there's nothing common between the Ethiopian treasurer and Philip. Here's a fisherman, smells of fish. The guy is a nice man, rich person sitting with guards around him. But it showed that the Holy Spirit told Philip, approach the, the carriage. And, and, and that it is a powerful thing. We need to be listening to our Heavenly Father. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission is not happening because 
you have a podcast and I started a ministry and, you know, oh, it sounds good at, you know, whatever, Dallas Theological Seminary, talk about missions. No, 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 this is God's heart. God's heart is that every nation, every nation hear the gospel. And this is the age of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you as you're listening to this podcast. My brother, my sister, maybe God is calling to change certain things or take a step. Yes, we need you in the harvest. God's heart is for every nation, every tribe to hear. So instead of focus on contextualization, Philip listened to the Holy Spirit, approached the carriage, asked the guy, do you understand? And then the text says, and he started from the book and told him, see, the good news of Jesus. It's a powerful. Uh, my professor of New Testament, uh, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, used to say, don't read the Bible too fast. Every word. And I love the text. He started with Isaiah and it says it ended with the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. This is what we're bringing. So sure, contextualization might help, but it's a process that is different, different culture, different family, different people. I love, love what I hear you saying, because I hear you saying that we've got to first start with our relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit, but then also the relationship then with others. And it takes me back to those two commands that he gives us at the very beginning and are those greatest commands of loving him first and then loving others. But it takes a process of the Holy Spirit really directing us in that relationship that we're building with those. Um, Thank you for that is that is. That is just very encouraging because I think a lot of people get nervous about sharing um, with Muslims, but I keep hearing, you know, learn a little and then just get out and do it. And uh, the Holy Spirit guides and directs us um, through it. Can you you tell us a a story about what God's doing in the Muslim world today? A good story. Yes. Um, I just got back. So I was in... uh... I was in London, I was in uh, Geneva, I was in Amsterdam, and then Beirut, 12 days. And the, the exciting part is you'd see people come and say, uh, you know, I had a dream, I had a vision. Or somebody would say, I was reading the Bible. Uh, I was. Uh, this lady said, you know, it doesn't make sense to for God to have a son. God should not have sexual relation with, uh, with uh, Mary. Well, that's not what we believe. That's an insult to two billion Christians to say there was a sexual act. And so she started, She uh, somebody told her that we believe in the virgin birth, and they gave her a Bible. She was like, oh, maybe I should read it or not. So she went, uh, she was. She dreamt of that she was in a meadow, and there are a lot of sheep around, and it's a beautiful meadow. And the person who's guiding her was uh, Jesus, the son of Mary. She knew it's Jesus, son of Mary. I asked her, I said, how do you know? She goes, no, no, in the dream, it was Jesus, the son of the Virgin Mary. But he was wearing royal clothes with uh, with gold buttons, and he had a staff, shepherd's staff. Now, how does she know the stuff? She hasn't read the Bible. So she, she wakes up, she says, I need to read the Bible. I just had a dream of Jesus. So she starts reading John, uh, in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And she's like, oh, he is called the king of kings, but he's also a shepherd. And, you know, the reason I like this story is the, the, the dreams come. They don't know. They don't know the, the text. Um, another testimony of a gentleman who had a dream and vision that he was walking in a cave with his um, with his best friend. And in the dream, he says to his friend, I'm looking for Jesus, the son of Mary, Isa ben Maryam. And his friend in the dream says to him, look to your right. 
you will see the Messiah push the stone and get out of the cave. Okay, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm listening to the man like, I said to him, have you read the Bible? He goes, no, I had this dream 10 years ago. I'm looking for a Bible. Can you get me one? So sometimes, you know, uh, you know, it, it's my uh, my pride. I think, you know, oh, I'm, I'm an evangelist. I've been doing this for so many years. I should be the first one. And you never, I never talk to a person about Jesus where Christ had not already beat me there. You know, it doesn't matter. Maybe a situation, maybe a dream. Maybe somebody gave him a Bible. And the beautiful thing, I mean, I have a ton of stories to share, but for the sake of time, what what my joy is when God uses me to draw people closer to him. That's a joy. My joy also is that I am just enjoying the journey. I'm just part of the, you know, part of this trip. The Holy Spirit is the guide. Jesus is the guide. He's the one fulfilling the Great Commission. So I'm just part of the journey. And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So enjoy the journey. You know, you're talking to Muhammad and he's not reading the Bible. Okay, he doesn't want to read the Bible. It's okay. Let's enjoy the journey. Be friends. You know, is Fatima reading the Bible? Great. Pray for Fatima. You know, many times we create these strife and, and it bugs me when denominations fight. Because at the end of the day, we are here to uh, Jesus in John 17 says, let we, let them be one. We are to work together. Yes, we, we maybe we not exactly agree on everything. But as a ministry, this is what we did when I started. I said, let's major on the majors. The major things Jesus saves. People need to know about the basic foundation Christians. But, you know, you want to pray standing up or sitting down. They want to pray facing Jerusalem or you know, facing you know, these are, you know, uh, these are nominal things or minor things that can change as people get deeper in the word. And this is our, my heart is to see more believers know the Bible because that will change our character. Um, one one person becomes, became a believer and their grandfather looked at her eyes and said, I see God in your eyes. Would you take me to church? The grandfather hasn't become a believer, but he can see there is a change in their granddaughter. Uh, and so this is this is our power as believers is the fruit that comes through us because of the power of Christ in us you know that um, I was talking with um, uh, a gentleman uh, Ali from uh, India and uh, he said to me I was raised in America I'm not very devout but I always ask my mom she's very devout how do we know true religion I said to him oh uh, the Messiah Jesus told us and he looked at me and goes, the Messiah Jesus told us? I said, yeah, 2,000 years ago, uh, the Messiah says, from their fruit, you shall know them. You can't get figs from thorns. So he, it was, uh, it was, uh, he had his mask. He's a med student. So he's, he has his mask. He goes, he's afraid of Corona or COVID. So when I said that, he pulled his mask down. He goes, with his eyes open, he goes, oh, this is so good. You're right. You know people by their fruit. I said, yeah, if somebody loves God, he acts like God loves everybody. And he took a, a gospel of John in Arabic and English. But the reason I share this story is many times when we shine the light, the light speaks for itself. Our message is powerful. Our message draws people. It's a beautiful message. The need today is more messengers. That's what the need is. The message doesn't need help. The message is beautiful. We are the messengers. We need more messengers. Hey Amen. I, I tell many churches and believers I talk to, and, and I'm convinced of this truth, that there, there are more Muslims who want to talk about Jesus than there are Christians willing 
nice. to talk about Jesus with their Muslim friends. Yeah. So we, we just need more more laborers, more harvesters. So one of the things we, we like to do on the podcast is give some very practical resources. So Fouad, you uh, wrote a book recently, Sharing Jesus with Muslims, A Step-by-Step Guide. I read this book a couple months ago and I said, hey, I, I need to call Fouad and have him on the podcast because I was just so impressed of how accessible it was, it, how equipping it was and encouraging. I love the short, actionable chapters. I I didn't like reading growing up. So like short chapters are like, that's my jam. Uh, <laughs> who did you have in mind when you wrote this book? Well, first it was believers, especially now Gen Z and Gen X. And, you know, I'm, you know, just, I know from my children, they read, but they're not going to sit there and read a book. When I was a teenager, <laughs> sit down and read the whole book. We didn't have any distractions called Instagram and Twitter and, you know, TikTok. So uh, we wrote it in that way for Christians who um, are in this generation. And we wanted to kind of start with the role of the Great Commission. What does that mean? Because people think it's this is given to some, not to all. The second thing, we wanted to create a step-by-step guide. Why step-by-step? Because many times when you talk about witnessing in general, uh, people think you should be like some great evangelist, like maybe like Billy Graham. And we're trying to say, no, no, evangelism, sharing, is is a step thing. It's a baby step thing. It's not a big thing. You don't need you don't need to even act like someone else. Every person has their own background. And then we wanted to make it more practical. So, for example, how to respond to questions in a way that keeps the conversation. So, one was what is success. So, there's a whole thing about success and witnessing is sharing and leaving the results to God. So, for me. If a Muslim wants to talk more about Jesus or does not want to talk about Jesus, it's okay. My success is that I was kind to them, I was loving, and I shared with them the gospel. So there was more of that. The other thing that was important for us to write the book is today, even when people start the conversation, they do not know how to focus the conversation. So many times we start and we start talking about something like election or, you know, do you eat pork? Like, okay. Yeah, I get it. Fine. But, you know, really, is that the whole issue? Am I going to spend more than even one minute on do you eat pork or not? So we wanted to bring the conversation very focused. So there's a couple of chapters there on that, especially on knowing that the message of the gospel is that Jesus saves. That's the message. The message is not changing your diet, although, yes, definitely the Lord has some guidelines for us. But, you know, the, the message is a is an internal thing. It's a change of the heart, of the mind. So that's who we had in mind. And then what I wanted to do is uh, give some ideas for discipleship because we believe every person God can use to win another person. And we ended with the uh, chapter, which was a conversation that always happens in ministry. Uh, so uh, just not to, uh, what do you call it, get the cat out of the bag. Is that an English statement? Uh, but the question that we end with is, uh, is salvation a, something that you reason with someone to faith? Do you reason with people to bring them to faith? Or is this a revelation from God? Because a lot of people say, oh, we have to reason. We have to, you know, prove to them, you know, polemics and apologetics. And other people say, no, if God wants them to be saved, he will reveal himself. So we try to answer that question as a conclusion so that we can bring it back to the idea of the need of the hour, the need of today, what's going on today. And, and um, it, we're excited about the book because uh, it's, uh, like you said, short chapters. 
it took some time and in uh, Nabi Qureshi who wrote Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, we <clears throat> kind of came up with the outline, uh, but um, sadly he wasn't able to help with the writing. Uh, but it's a beautiful way because his first book was Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. So when you seek, you find. Okay, well, when you find, you share. That's why Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, now sharing Jesus with Muslims. Because when you find a treasure, when you find a meal, when you find something nice, like you go hiking and you find a place that's beautiful, you're going to tell people, you're going to say, hey, come with me to this uh, to this place or try this meal or you know, I found this treasure. Let me share it with you. So we believe that uh, every believer can share the good news with a Muslim. Fouad, as you've mentioned about the book, you, um, you've really told us a lot about what the book's about, but it, there's been a lot of books written about this very topic. What makes this book really unique? Um, it's very practical. I tell a lot of testimonies on purpose. Uh, the reason I tell a story, because that's many times easy way to remember. So I tell stories, not so people do it necessarily exactly the same, but to see how to respond. So for example, it's two in the morning, I'm in Minnesota talking to a Khalid from Jordan. And you know, we had Turkish coffee at midnight, so nobody's sleeping. And we're watching World Cup. And he asked me, what did Jesus bring that's new? Okay, that's the response. So I, you know, he has a smartphone, I, you know, he downloaded the Bible on the smartphone. He has the Quran. I have the Quran on my smartphone. So we started the conversation on what did Jesus bring new? So we read, you know, love your enemies. And he had a struggle with that because it's not logical to love your enemies. I said, oh, you're right. But everybody tells you, kill your enemy. That's common. And I said, look at our history. It didn't show, change anything. I mean, look at us. We haven't changed anything. We're still war after war. Right now, we're talking about Ukraine and Russia. So the, the, the solution of Jesus, the best, is to forgive and move on. That's the only way. I mean, how do you fix even couples, marriage? How do you fix a marriage? They have to forgive each other because, you know, it, it, no, no marriage is perfect, number one. Number two, <laughs> like even if you say 50% at fault, how are you going to fix it? it? You fix it by forgiving. It has to come to forgiveness. So the reason we share these stories on purpose so the reader will, will kind of learn through a story the second thing, it's very practical because we took most common questions and how to respond in a biblical way and to keep the conversation moving. Because the biggest thing today is once we talk to Muslims, it always ends up with a wall or with a boxing match. And we don't want that. If you look at the Samaritan woman's story, Christ kept the conversation going, even when you could tell it was getting tense or even with the... Uh, Good Samaritan uh, a parable. Most people read the Good Samaritan. They don't, they don't understand the context. Uh, the, the Good Samaritan was not given because he said, who is my neighbor? You have to go far before the question. The original question was, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? So the parable was given on that, not on who's my neighbor. That was like a uh, smokescreen that the, the rich person was doing. It's called, what is it, the rich young man, whatever uh, they call it in scripture. But the whole idea, that was the second thing. The third thing that we wanted to make sure that this book is very practical, step-by-step, step, to also take some of the Muslims' objections. So we highlight a little bit Sharia law. What is Sharia law? What is Islamic law? Where are the deficiencies in it? And how to use that to bring it to Jesus? Whether it's polygamy, 
whether it's uh, stoning, whether it's jihad. So this is how the book is different than other books, is we bring some of the Islamic objections on the Christian faith by saying, oh, you know, Islam has sharia, Islam has a has a perfect law. So we say, we show these uh, weaknesses or uh, or uh, they are not biblical concepts and bring it back to Christ. So most people, most Muslims say, polygamy solves the problem of, of adultery. Well, that's not true. Polygamy doesn't solve adultery. <laughs> you know, you just gave yourself a name that, you know, oh, she's my second wife. So, you know what I'm saying? So you you uh, you bring the gospel to where it is effective. Now, one of the ways we share the good news about being grace, about salvation, sometimes needs to be linked to God changing our heart. As evangelicals, we're always afraid from work salvation. But, well, that's true. We believe it's by grace. However, grace changes our character, changes our values, changes our actions. So it's okay to share with your Muslim friends a story how God changed your character. So I always say how God changed me from hating Jewish people, hating Palestinians, hating Iranians, to start praying for these people, to, to look at them as, you know, humans, you know. So I pray for a Jewish person. I pray for a Palestinian. I pray for an Iranian, not because somebody told me to do so, because you can tell me it's because God changed my heart. See, the, 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 the power is from him. So that's, uh, the, it's also, like you said, uh, but short chapters. So it, I think it'll be fun. And it ends with each chapter ends with 55 seconds for change. It's not a minute. <laughs> we call it 55 seconds for change. Awesome. Brother, if, if someone wants to find the resources that you've written, find this book, where, where would you, where would you point them to? Um, they can go to uh, cphope.org. That's our Crescent Project website, cphope.org. Or they can go to the author site, foadmasri.com. They're both places. Um, we have a upcoming conference called the Hope Conference. It's online. We'd love people to attend, bring people from your church. You can do a watch party, but you're going to hear from different speakers and different testimonies. And our keynote speaker is uh, Dr. David Garrison, who wrote the book, uh, Wind in the House of Islam. So he's our keynote speaker this year, and it'll be in, on September 13th. So go to cphope.org, sign up so you can get the link to watch it. And it'll be great if you can do a watch party uh, at your home or at church. Thank you for joining us, Fouad. So in the show notes, if you're listening and you didn't catch all that, we're going to put links for uh, Fouad's website, the author site, CP Hope, uh, the, the conference, and then other things that's been mentioned because, again, we want, we want you to go from uh, not doing something to doing something. And I know a lot of people have created a lot of resources to assist in that. But if you if you heard what Fouad was saying, it's not just a resource that's going to do that. It's going to be as the Lord changes your heart to love all people, to embrace the Great Commission, ultimately until we can say that that all have heard and that we see a representation of every nation, language, tongue, and tribe at the throne of Jesus, worshiping him. And until that day, Fouad, let's, uh, let's keep pressing on. Amen. The joy of the Lord. Haradi Jews are some of the most unreached people in the world. But God is moving in this community and we sense that the time is ripe to increase our efforts to reach them with the good news. The key to this outreach is prayer. We invite you to journey with us into the world of the Haradium 
and to meet Haradi men and women as well as the believers who serve them and to join us in the critical work of prayerful intercession. Start learning and praying with us today with a free digital download or you can request a free copy at upgnorthamerica.com forward slash resources.